Hi, you're listening to my mom, Cat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? You're listening to episode number 80 with my good friends, Liz Griffin and Lucy Hoppy. And for everybody listening, I want them to get a glimpse into who Liz and Lucy are. That's going to be really hard for me to say. I need to not say your names together the whole show because I'm afraid I'm going to come up with some hybrid version of your name. Nice. Lucy. Lucy? That doesn't sound very encouraging. Mm -mm. It doesn't. Okay, this isn't good. I'm going to laugh too hard to actually talk. Okay, stop. Take a deep breath. Here we go. Okay, so, hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I don't know about y'all, but it is summer in our house for at least one third of my kids. His sisters are still in school, but my son is here, and he wants to say a little something to you today. I hope the show is the pep talk that you need as a mom. A reminder that what you do every day is is life-changing and matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are unique and amazing. And he has called you and he will equip you so... Thank you for serving your family and for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Good job, bud. High five. Does it sound like it normally? Yeah, sounded? that sounded great. Okay, can I do it? Can, can you actually put that part in? Okay, I will. Hey, this is Kat Lee, and you're listening to episode number 80 of the Inspired to Action podcast. And today I'm going to introduce you to two dear friends of mine who are teaching their kids that you're never too young or too busy to change the world. Liz Griffin and Lucy Hoppy have a passion for social justice, and it's something that they've really passed on to their kids. Their young daughters started an organization called the Glow Campaign to help those in need, and they have this super cool monthly email newsletter called the Glow Crew, and it's a great way to get your kids excited about helping others in a very simple and very practical way. And today, Liz and Lucy, which you'll notice in this episode, I have a hard time saying, share their stories, and they give us plenty of ideas on how we can find the time to make a difference in the midst of motherhood. But before we jump into that today, I want to give a shout out to those of you that inspire me to keep on chatting here in my closet and recording this podcast. So Taylor Irby posted a picture on Instagram, and she said that even doing dishes is fun while listening to the podcast. And Taylor, thank you for that shout out. And I have to agree that podcasts make doing dishes and chores so much more fun. If you haven't tried it, definitely do that because it makes it so much more fun to do. And I'd love to see how you're listening to the podcast. So tag me on Instagram or use the hashtag inspired to action. Now, before we jump into the show today, though, I want to give a shout out to plantoeat.com. They really make my meal planning so much easier, and I think they can simplify your summer meal planning as well. So you can use their online service to organize your meal plans to automatically create shopping lists and generally dominate the kitchen. So get your free 30-day trial at plantoeat.com. And I also created a new resource for you called mealplanningbootcamp.com. And you can get all your recipes and meal plans in order in less than a week. So head over to mealplanningbootcamp.com to get started with that. And let's jump right into the interview. Hey, Liz and Lucy, how are you guys doing today? We're good. Good. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Um, I love the fact that we are chatting on Skype right now and we're about a half a mile apart but that's the joy of technology because I'm also still in my PJs. So, well, I'm not wearing out. any makeup and my hair hasn't been washed in about three days. Lucy's awesome. looking cute though. I have to admit, she's my sitting hair's next wet because I just took a shower. Well, Lu- Lucy <laughs> always looks cute. So, I think that's just her default modus yeah. operandi. Yeah, I know. When I grow up, I want to look like Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be kind of hard since you're not actually Hispanic, but <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> My mom's Norwegian and Lucy is full Hispanic. She has so, no chance, really. I have no chance. She hey, can hope. Hair dye and a good spray tan. Never <laughs> those two things. <laughs> okay, so obviously we know each other. And for everybody listening, I want them to get a glimpse into who Liz and Lucy are. That's going to be really hard for me to say. I, I need to not say your names together the whole show because I'm afraid I'm going to come up with some hybrid version of your name. Nice. Lucy. Lucy, Lucy, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Mm-mm. 
It doesn't. Okay, this isn't good. I'm going to laugh too hard to actually talk. Okay, stop. Take a deep breath. Here we go. Okay, so I would love for my listeners to get to know you guys because obviously you're awesome and I love both of you. And so uh, Liz, will you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you and your family and kind of what you do? Yes, Liz Griffin here. And um, my husband is JD. He is a pastor at a church in town and we... um, have been a part of church planting and I am a writer. We, my husband and I also have like a creative agency deal and I uh, am involved with several social justice projects. I am on the board of, or on the leadership team of Unbound, which is an anti-trafficking organization that I think we've talked about before on your podcast. But I'm uh, kind of first and foremost, a mom of two little kids and we're in the process of adopting some four-year-old twins. So hopefully soon to be four little people in my house. Awesome. Yeah, that episode, I'll I'll need to go back and look up the actual episode number, but it was called um, How to Be a Naptime Abolitionist, I believe. So Mm. I will include the link in the show notes to check that out because it was was one we got a ton of comments on and it was a great episode. I enjoyed chatting with you about that, Liz. And Lucy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, my name is Lucy Hoppy, and I'm married to Brian. Um, he is an executive at an IT company, and I have two girls. They're eight and four. I'm a social worker, and I teach part-time at our local university. And I, um, yeah, I'm kind of blending my time being home with them and getting to do wear my professional hat, I guess, as an educator. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about what your daughters do to de- together collectively in regards to social justice. But before we get into that, I'd kind of like to talk about how both of you spend a lot of time with your kids and you're really intentional about motherhood. At the same time, Lucy, you teach at a university and Liz, you lead an anti-trafficking organization. So you, you, I would love to know from both of you how you kind of kept your toe in the water of what you're passionate about in the midst of motherhood, because your kids aren't all that old. It's not like they're in high school or even junior high. They're still in elementary school and you're able to balance all of this. And I would say even, I'm guessing you were intentional about finding opportunities that allowed you to get involved, but not too involved so that it kind of took over. So take us into that, Liz, how you were intentional about getting involved in that and still having time for your family. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if I'd say it's balanced. <laughs> I feel like it's a constant ebb and flow. And um, when my kids were, when my daughter was born, I had wanted to go to um, law school and then ended up starting family life a little earlier than I originally thought I would. And uh, I, you know, to be totally honest, it was really hard for me because I thought, well, how am I going to actually continue to steward the things in me and um, invest in family and home the way I wanted to. And so I, it looks like when my kids were itty bitty, um, I did a lot of reading. Like I would just pull out my old college political science textbooks <laughs> and re- I'm a nerd. Okay. So we'll just full disclosure. Um, and I would read them or I'd read articles on current events, things just to sort of keep my, even though my schedule didn't allow me to be involved, I wanted my heart and my brain to stay involved. And so that's kind of what it looked like. And then, um, you know, in different seasons where maybe I had a little more free time, I was involved in, um, there's an amazing crew of people in our city who got together and started Unbound. And I kind of got to be a part of that. And for a while, I was quite a bit more involved um, just because of my kids' ages. I could, you know, push a little more time. Um, But I did a lot of work sort of like, well, the nap time part, you know, during their naps or at night when they're in bed. Um, And I even took my son to, you know, he went lobbying with me and sat on the floor of senators' offices <laughs> down in Austin. Um, and I mean, I just toted him with me. And maybe that wasn't the most professional thing, but <laughs> I didn't have another option. So he came with me on, on things like that. But, um, you know, to be totally honest, I'm in a stage now where my son is starting kindergarten in the fall. And I just, you know, if it wasn't awkward on a podcast, I'd take a moment of silence because that's kind of <laughs> But 
Um, and so I actually am, have pulled back quite a bit from Unbound because I'm like, you know, right now I can't be as, I need to be investing in him a little bit more before he starts school. And so I've handed off some of the things I was involved in. There's an amazing, I mean, there's an amazing team leading Unbound right now and they're doing great. And so I'm doing less of that maybe than I was before. So I think it's just one of those things I've had to learn to just constantly, it fluctuates back and forth with when I can invest more time maybe in things that I feel called to individually and then things I feel like our family needs, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, I love that. And now with you, Lucy, it seems like it would be hard to do a part-time thing at a major university. How, how did that come about and how is that fitting into your life? That came about, I was actually asked to come on board full-time when I was pregnant with my oldest. And that was hard. I remember I knew I wanted to be home with her. And since that was an option for us financially, um, I think it was hard because I was kind of, I was kind of presented with my dream job and I was probably about six months pregnant at the time. And I felt, I remember feeling like the parade is going to pass me by Mm -hmm. is the best way that I can say how I felt. Um, but I, I remember that semester that that happened and I was spending time with the Lord and he spoke so clearly to me that he would reroute the parade for me. Mm. And if I would be in the spaces that he called me, he would bring it down my street. And that's really what happened. Um, so I had Anna and then I think I, I was in a great community of, of ladies and a lot of them quit work to stay home, which was which was awesome. Um, I felt really part of a tribe. I think the part that made me feel different though, was that I started looking for hobbies, um, kind of what Liz was sharing to occupy my brain and occupy my space. And I had the hardest time finding a hobby. (laughs) And I finally went to this friend that was mentoring me at the time and just told her, I'm, I've been looking for a hobby and I can't find one. <laughs> and I felt so, I think, kind of defeated or like I wasn't becoming the mom that I thought I was supposed to become. And she just said, well, why don't you, you don't have to have it fit like everyone else. What, what do you think would make you feel like you're, you're able to engage your mind and engage your heart in a way that's meaningful to you? So... I don't remember where in the, in the school year that came up, but the next time, the next year, the next semester, a part-time deal came up um, to teach and I was able to just take a class at a time. So I would teach one day a week and then I would write syllabi and read and study for classes and grade papers during nap time. And it kind of a lot like Liz, it just looked different in different seasons. So some, some seasons, my kids were maybe more portable. I took off time after I had my oldest and then took off the school year right after I had our second, just cause I, I needed to be more available and I wasn't sleeping with a newborn. <laughs> I don't think I would have been that great in the classroom, not being able to sleep, um, and teaching academic content, but kind of the same, I think giving freedom to not have a yes, that's forever to something, Mm -hmm. but, but giving myself freedom to evaluate, you know, every quarter or every six months, I think that depends on, on every family. Um, so I've been able to take on more classes, different semesters, um, or say no at different times. And when I've said no, just knowing that God's the one that's provided that opportunity for me. And so he knows me and he knows what makes me tick. And um, if that's what fits later down the road, he'll bring it back around again. I just love that. I love how both of you, it wasn't like a decision, like this solid decision that I'm committing my life to do this one thing forever, but you just really listen to God and to the ebb and flow of your lives and to your seasons. And in that even the best thing came when you didn't do, when you didn't pursue it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's so powerful because a lot of times we just want to fight to make our thing happen or make our thing work. But I love how you talked about God saying that he was going to reroute the parade. That is, that's really powerful. 
Um, so both of you are interested in social justice. Where did that start with you? Was that a lifelong thing, something that came up in recent years? How did that get started with you? I think it started for me just from my family history. My mom immigrated from Mexico when she was six. And um, both my parents grew up very, very poor. Um, and so I, from my earliest memories, I remember being taught by them or them just allowing me into the space of what it means to be in need. Um, and a lot of my identity was really formed around their, their work and what they did for our family to, to be in a different place where we had different options. So I think that's where my initial love for social justice began. And for me, um, it's similar in that it was family in childhood. My, when I was growing up, my dad led uh, teams of physicians and eye doctors and dentists into rural Central American or South American countries. And so we would go to, like I remember being in kindergarten, taking a few weeks off school and going down to Guatemala um, and just seeing some of you know, the realities that people live in and just being exposed to a lot at a young age and then also lived overseas uh, when I was in junior high. And so I think just as I grew up, I saw a lot of things going on in the world and it kind of just stuck with me. So I guess for both of us, it really started as kids. So for the mom who didn't grow up like that or doesn't have the personal experience, social justice can kind of seem like a buzzword and -hmm. it can feel like something that feels kind of removed. How can an everyday mom who doesn't have any family experiences, who hasn't traveled, how can she personalize the idea of social justice and really develop a heart for it? I think maybe the first thing is just being, we see things every day as adults that are heartbreaking or we learn of things through the news. And I think if we can just be willing to engage that in our own mind and when it's appropriate to talk to our kids about some of those issues. Um, I think that's where the bridge happens when, when you translate that into parenting and bringing that in um, to conversation with your own children. Cause I think I, even for me, sometimes it's easier to pass someone begging on the side of the road and not say anything, but because I, I have the option though at that moment to talk to my child about it on a level that's appropriate for them, depending on their age. So, you know, whether you're, you have a story where you're really exposed like Liz and I early on, or that's something that you want and it's, it seems maybe less accessible to you. I think looking, looking into our world and just seeing where you can share those stories in the middle of family life is a a great springboard. Because it's probably available to us a lot more than we even imagined from those opportunities like people, you know, begging in the streets or whatnot. I don't know if that happens in other cities as much as it does in Waco. I I would assume so. Um, But even from that to I know that in Waco, there's even a weekend class thing. I don't know if it's open to everybody, but I know in college I took a class called Poverty Simulation. Yeah. yeah. Poverty simulation. And basically you go for a weekend and they take everything that you have. Like you can't even wear your own clothes. Um, and you, I think the biggest thing for me that I remember was that I couldn't have my watch. And for some reason that was just a really <laughs> big deal to me that I didn't know what time it was. And you, you live for a weekend behind this place. So it was safe. It was at a place called Mission Waco, but you live, you sleep outside and you have to dumpster dive and you have to ask for money from people who have no idea whether you're actually somebody who's been living on the streets for years or you're just doing it for a weekend. And that was so hugely eye-opening. And I would imagine that there are organizations in other cities that do stuff like that as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But Liz, you did that same thing too, didn't you? Yeah, I did that same weekend. And it's, you know, and I even, you know, grew up exposed to lots of things like that, but putting yourself in those shoes, Mm -hmm. It was really eye-opening. And and I think, you know, when it comes to, okay, well, what can we do? I mean, I, I remember because you, in that weekend, you go to this um, sort of a secondhand store and you have about five minutes to find something that somewhat fits you. <laughs> yeah. Because um, you're not wearing your normal clothes. So you're wearing these kind of bizarre outfits because it's just some random pants that don't necessarily match the shirt, but it's what worked. And 
you looked, you started to look pretty rough by about day two, or at least I did. And I remember people wouldn't look me in the eye. They avoided me and just what that felt like. And so I even think the little things like that as parents of teaching our kids, Hey, you respect everyone. You look them in the eye. You don't avoid. Cause I think to be totally honest, you know, things like that, it makes us uncomfortable. That's a lot of times why we don't engage, or at least for me, I think, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know how to help them. I'm just going to avoid them. And then we sort of inadvertently reproduce that in our kids. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's on me. You know, I, I'm, I'm assuming other people feel that way for sure. I do. It's easier to just like not make eye contact with the guy with the sign outside of my window and pretend he's not there. Um, but I think that that weekend I realized what that feels like to mm-hmm. be, for people to avoid you. And so, you know, I think just even little things, of am I showing my kids that I do I treat everyone the same? Am I modeling that for my kids? Like when we see the nice dressed businessman at church, you know, do they see mommy treating him the same way they see mommy treating, you know, the cashier at Dollar General or whatever, you know? Uh, and it's, I think that's a really super practical way that we can invest that in our kids. And that was something that that weekend sort of showed me was, oh, wow, people do, they really treat me differently when I look one way than I, than when I look another way. Mm -hmm. And it's one thing really to read about it or imagine it from somebody else's perspective, but it's a different thing altogether to experience it for yourself and, and not be able to ever clarify to that person who you quote unquote actually are or what Mm -hmm. you, you know, what your influence may or may not be, but just to own however people see you right then and there. And I just remember that having a huge impact on me. And I actually remember going back to my Baylor apartment and just being kind of mad that my roommates and I, a bunch of college kids had our very own house to live in or, you know, apartment. And I I don't think I was very pleasant to live with the rest of that weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but you're talking about helping our kids to have a different focus. And I know your girls have started something pretty amazing. And I'd love for you to share kind of the story of how that got started. So our girls are are wonderful. I'm so when I think get to tell the story, I know, don't I sound like such a like big headed mom? But they really are great. Um they just have a heart, they really do have hearts for justice and I have such a gift of mercy on both of their lives. And last year during recess, they would talk about helping other people. And so they I guess started brainstorming what they could do on the playground and came home one day with $20 from their wonderful teacher. And Liz and I had independently heard them. They would, you know, you come home, how was your day at school? What'd you do at recess? And we would each hear little tidbits about what they spoke about. But once, once we came home and had some money that we had a decision I think at that point, that was a kind of a turning point. What are we going to do with, with this $20? And so, yeah, because their teacher, what happened was their teacher, they told their teacher that they wanted to start a charity to help other kids. And so their teacher gave them $20 to start it. They were in the same first grade class. And so it was their first grade teacher. So yeah, they came home with the $20 and we thought, I mean, to be totally honest, I think Lucy and I both thought, oh, this will pass. I mean, they're seven. They're going to be like... <laughs> Next week, they're going to decide they want to be cowgirls and they'd rather figure out a way to put a horse in the backyard or some other crazy idea. Yeah. Um, so I think it, we sort of started it to amuse them, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. We were willing, but when you think about two seven-year-olds, you don't think, oh, you guys are in it for the long haul. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but that showed us to that they're what they're capable of, I guess. Um. So anyway, we began, like what Liz said, I think we both thought it would be a short-term, maybe a one-time thing, and launched our first, we decided to buy a domain name as as how we decided to use the $20. And they ended up raising, I guess we ended up raising a little over $500 in just a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Because they wanted to, what they wanted to do was have a charity. Well, it started off, we want to help all the kids in the world. And so... Locally and beyond. Locally, they, yeah, they, they had, had that part. Down. Their motto was about twenty sentences long. Like they're, <laughs> so we we kind of worked. It was great, honestly, because it gave us a 
we got to teach them practical skills of, well, this is how you form a mission statement. And you actually need maybe a more specific thing than helping every child in the world from Waco, Texas to Bangladesh. <laughs> and so, um, you know, they, we ended up coming up with, okay, the goal was to create brighter features for kids. So that's how it came to the GLOW campaign. The GLOW campaign creates brighter features for kids. And so every project or thing that we do um, is geared towards helping kids have a brighter future. Um, so like Lucy said, we thought maybe it was just going to be this summer thing. Um, so last summer, we our goal was to uh, raise money, raise $500 to buy medical supplies for orphanages in Burundi, which is one of the poorest nations in the world. It's the nation that we're adopting from. And so we had some connections with different um, shelters there and knew some of their needs. So we actually raised about $500 in the first couple of days through GoFundMe. Um which was kind of, I mean, we, we it made the girls, surprise. it was mm-hmm. we were surprised. We made, we didn't tell them that we did it because we wanted them to actually have to work for the money. So, um, we did like lemonade stand and anyway, the glow campaign was able to fill, uh, medical cabinets of three different shelters and had enough money left over to buy some food and stock some of the shelters with food. And honestly, it was a really great experience of us to realize Hey, we can really disciple our girls in the things that we're passionate about, that they're also passionate about. And so, and it kind of kept going. It it sort of what we thought was going to be a summer project turned into um, a a bigger project. So last fall, we did a um, a duffel bag drive for kids in foster care here in the U.S. and in different cities. Um, Something started called the Glow Crew which essentially was other moms saying, hey, we would love our kids to get to be a part of this, um, but they didn't necessarily live in Waco where we live. Um, So this thing called the Glow Crew developed, which was just people being a part of the Glow campaign. Um, The Glow Crew, they sign up. It's an email that they get every month that has a secret mission. And so the secret mission is, you know, it could be a project like help us, you know, do a duffel bag drive. Or it's anything, you know, like maybe there's a kid in your class who doesn't get invited to play a lot at recess. Maybe they kind of have trouble making friends. And so one thing you can do to do justice in your classroom is you can invite them to play with you at recess or just kind of breaking down and giving kids really practical steps and tasks that they can do each month to be a part of learning how to do justice. Um, Because I think our girls, when you get them talking, they talk a lot about wanting to see their generation you know, do big things in the area of social justice. And so the GLOW crew started, and then we um, are currently on a project for raising money for a classroom in Haiti. But anyway, all that to say, last year in first grade, our girls decided to start a charity. And so now we see and I and our little people run a charity. <laughs> I love it. I love that part about the GLOW crew too, because it helps to bridge the idea of having compassion or empathy for people right around us that we can totally relate to. Mm -hmm. And then also carry that over to Burundi or Haiti or countries that, you know, maybe a seven-year-old hasn't necessarily heard of or know very much about. But the way that you're sending out those emails and encouraging them to, you know, kind of have that mindset right where they are with the people that are right around them helps them to bridge that gap. Um, So what keeps them motivated in this whole process? Because are they just, you know, Every time they need to do something, are they just bouncing off the walls, excited to, you know, refine their mission statement or approach businesses or, you know, is there something particular that keeps them motivated or are you guys having to kind of spur that on in them to keep them committed to it? What does that look like? I think there's times that they really want to talk about, you know, you know, Anna wants to talk about clean water access or Sophie wants to talk about education for girls or, you know, there are, there are times where they want to have those types of conversations. And then I think when, like any child, they're very average eight-year-olds in the aspect of, you know, sitting, coming to have a play date and knowing we're going to do some glow work and they want to play and we have some work to do, but it's a great opportunity to tell them, you know what, right now, you're eight. And so one of the sacrifices sacrifices that you can make as a typical eight-year-old in America is you're going to give up playtime, which, you know, for a child in another country, that that is just not even on the radar. 
Um, but to have some, some conversations on their level about what it means to forego one of your privileges for other people. So, you know, maybe you're not going to watch the show that you want to right now, or maybe you're not going to choose the game that that you want to play with right now, but let's go back to why we're doing what we're doing. Um, not in a way that forces them into the work, but that really explains the opportunity. And I guess translates the ideas of what can I exchange for other people? What, what privilege can I lay down even if it's just for a little bit so that someone else can have more basic needs met? And so they seem to understand that concept more. Yeah. There are definitely days where they do not want to sit there and they were in the middle of playing Cleopatra or something and <laughs> they don't want to stop. And I, I wish people could sit in on a meeting because I think when we tell people what our girls do, it just seems like, oh, well, your kids must be these fluke Yeah, like children. That, that wouldn't work for an average kid. But but that does. Like they're mean, very average in that. Yeah. Way. So we'll be sitting in a meeting and having to hone them in like you would any child who's distracted. And they're maybe in their bonnets because they have been playing <laughs> the house on the prairie. And we say, okay, but for the next 15 minutes, we have to make these five decisions or something. And so it's very, I, I mean, it's, they're kids, you know? So I, I wish people could sit in because I think it sounds maybe more impressive than it actually <laughs> feels like in the moment. Yeah. Cause it just feels like we're wrangling kids, but, um, but then they also, I mean, they're genuinely, they're self-motivated. They're very kind of type A personalities. So there's always an ebb and flow. It goes from, we don't want to meet, to we have 20 new ideas, moms. And they always want an office, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> they keep asking is, when can they have employees? And when can they have an office? So I, that seems to be kind of the big power struggle. Is they think that we should have an office and... <laughs> telling them no finish the, office is the kitchen table <laughs> that's awesome so you know as I'm listening to you I'm realizing that okay Sophie and Anna are amazing but kind of the bigger thing that I hear is it's kind of like all those old movies that you watch when you're a kid about kids who have some amazing opportunity or amazing idea but the adults in their lives never actually listen to them um, and so honestly, the thing that sounds the most amazing to me is that you guys took it seriously and that you're staying committed to it uh, because, you know, it's kids have lots of ideas yeah. and they want to do lots of things. And half the time it requires a 10% of work for the kids and about 90% of work for the grown up. So how do you guys stay motivated? How do you guys stay committed to it? And what made you really believe in this? Was it the $20 or was it your kids' commitment? What's kept you going? I think that question reminds me of a conversation that Liz and I had when we were deciding whether to do the Haiti project or not. And we're sitting at the kitchen table. The kids are playing in the playroom. And we had the opportunity to do the Haiti project was a bigger project for us to take on versus brainstorming some smaller, more manageable things to do. And we just asked each other, why, why wouldn't we do it? And there were honestly a ton of reasons. It takes a lot of time. You know, we could just get together and play and not worry about it. Um, it takes, it takes up a lot of energy Um, But when we asked each other, why would we do it? The thing that kind of came to mind was when you are considering your faith and your values and what you want the end product to look like, it's really easy to want the end product. But if you look at the path between where you are now and where you want to be, it's not as, it's not easy. It's bumpy and it has wrinkles and it's messy and you try and fail at different points. Um, but I think it something for me that's been so valuable is to have another like minded, like hearted mom, um, who can spur me on to do something that I want in the long term. Um, so I think that's been really envisioning for me just to have another, another family that we're walking alongside with in life that has the same, you know, some of the same stressors that my family has that we, our kids are tired or we're running around to activities or someone's sick or our husband's traveling or whatever it is, but, um, that we can make 
we can encourage each other as we make some different decisions to free up space to do to do something that's meaningful for the life of our family and that instills values in our kids that we know that we want in the in the long run but that we have an opportunity to do in part right now well, and it just makes it more fun too you know when you guys yeah. are getting together it's not just each of you trying to keep your children on task but you're getting together it's fun for you it's fun for them it becomes kind of an event and i know that there are probably a lot of other moms out there who want to make a difference, who want to instill um, a heart for others in their kids. Mm -hmm. What are some steps that they could take, some small steps that they can take to make the jump, to help them? Um, you know, obviously joining the Glow Crew, I think is it, you know, if you're listening right now, definitely go to, is it theglowcampaign.com? Yes. Glow Campaign, the, the Glow Campaign, blah, blah, blah. the Glow Campaign or just Glow Campaign? The. theglowcampaign.com <laughs> and the link will be in the show notes. Go there, sign up for the Glow Crew. Tons of easy ways to get started. But just for those listening, what are some ways that, that moms can prepare their own hearts or prepare their kids' hearts to have um, a heart for others? Well, um, okay, the first one is sort of a really basic. Judah Smith says this thing that I love, um, and it kind of even goes back to the previous answer because I think it's really easy to get way spread out as a mom. Like there's a million activities and then your kid has to sell 20 million cookies to buy a trumpet or something like that, you know, for band or there's just so much stuff going on all the time that life can just feel like really frazzled and hectic. Um, and I heard Judah Smith, he's a pastor in Seattle. He said, I might butcher the quote, but he said, um, what we do, we do as a family. And so, and that just helped me think, a little bit of a different perspective of it's not just um, like, oh, let me make sure my kids are in enough charitable activities so that they get some values in. But just, I think thinking through as a parent, as a mom, what is the family I'm trying to build? Like what is the family culture that I'm trying to build? And I think it makes it a little more seamless when you can, you know, say, hey, part of our family culture is, that we want to be a part of impacting our community or that we want to really have kids who know what it looks like to love their neighbor, um, like Jesus said, or all these different things like that. And I think it just helps as a mom and not feel like this one more thing you have to do. Cause I think that's what makes it feel stressful is, mm -hmm. um, it's one more thing you have to do, but if you can sort of have a culture that you're building in your family and this is part of it, it can integrate into a lot more ways. Um, and, and can, can, do you mind sharing your family, y'all's family motto and kind of when you share that with your kids? Cause I think that would really help moms too. My family motto. Yeah. Do, do you I have that? a family motto? Oh, yes. oh. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, come up with something good. Liz off the cuff. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, sorry. We <laughs> do have a family motto. Um, I just forgot about it. Um, no, what we say is, um, kind of our family little statement is we love God, love people and change the world. And so every day when my kids get out of my car to go, Sophie to go into second grade, Tate to go into preschool a few times a day, I always ask them, I say, what do Griffins do? And they look at me and they say, love God, love people and change the world. And so as much as possible throughout the day, when we do something, I say, oh, we do this because we love God. Like we, my kids, you know, we read a Bible story every morning or, you know, something quick, even we're praying for somebody or we're thanking God for something. And I just sort of try to always feed it back to you. This is what we do. We love God. We love people and we change the world. So if that's, Hey, we need to share our toys because we love people. Griffins love people. And so part of loving people is sharing what we have with people or, Hey, we're going to do a lemonade stand, even though you don't want to, because it's, hot outside because we said we're going to raise money because we changed the world. We do things that make an impact beyond just our family. So that, yeah, we have just sort of a, a simple sort of three pronged thing and it's real basic, but I have my kids say it every day when they get out of the car to go into whatever little world they're going into that I'm a Griffin. And that means that I love God. I love people and I change the world. Well, and I love that because it's such a great foundation for whatever else that you're going to do. And especially when you mention what Judah Smith said about what we do, we do as a family, and it totally ties together with that. And that way it feels more connected to you and to your kids. 
Um, so, but get, getting back to those, those ideas for those small steps for moms. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, so the glow campaign, we send out a, cause one of the things we realize is that Lucy and I obviously have more experience on some of these things than maybe the average mom does just because of our professional backgrounds. Um, and so the, the glow campaign during the glow crew, it sort of says, Hey, here's what you can do this month. And we also, you know, try to give tips to moms on our Facebook page of this is how, you know, some practical ways of explaining this. Like when we did the foster care thing, well, how do you explain what that is in a way that doesn't make your child fear? Yeah. That doesn't make your child fearful that, well, are you, you know, am I going to have to go live with another family or those sorts of things? So we try to give sort of practical tips for mom on how to even communicate those things in a child-friendly way to their kids. Um, so the glow crew is one super practical way of doing it, but I think just, um, looking at what can you do where you are? Like, again, maybe I, I'm really big on just trying to streamline and simplify your life, you know? So where are you? Do you go to a church that has a food pantry? Maybe you can volunteer, you know, um, with your small group at your church in your food pantry, or, you know, do you have a neighbor that is elderly and needs some extra help? Maybe one of your kids chores every week could be to take your, to help your neighbor, like to take their garbage can in or out or, you know what I mean? I think just making it as integrated into your life as possible and as simple, you know, just looking at what are a few things I can do where I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet most moms are already doing some of those things and you can bring your child into that just by asking them some simple questions. Like if you're going to make a meal for a family, it's, it's so easy to just, some weeks it doesn't feel easy, but sometimes you just make your meal and you're trying to get your kids in the car and, and get it delivered. But if you can, if you can talk to them while you're making it and say, Hey, did you know that mommy's making an, a meal for so-and-so because they just had a baby or they're, you know, one of the parents is out of town or they're ill or whatever it is. Um, why do we do that? And just ask him, why do we, why do we make meals for friends? I don't know, mommy, tell me. Um, but I mean, we, I think sometimes it's easy for us to be kind of running around and doing our own deal, um, separately. And it kind of, it goes back to the family piece too, I think, but if we can draw them into conversation, um, a lot of ours have just, a lot of that in our family is just conversations around thankfulness or what are you thankful for today? That's a question we ask every night at dinner. And that, that leads us to a lot of conversations about social justice and just giving our kids more knowledge um, about needs around them because what's real to them is their world. And part of the opportunity that we have as parents is to broaden that um, and share with them that that's not the reality for everybody. And that growth, I think that just produces a lot of empathy and compassion in them. Kids, I think that's one of the great things about kids. They have such a tremendous capacity for mercy. And so if we can give them, it's almost like data input. If we can put the data in their mind, then it has an opportunity to settle into their heart um, or their envision to help and be, be a change agent. So good. You know, I think one thing that I really hear in the midst of all of this is that if whatever we want our kids to be, or whatever, whatever we hope for them, it kind of needs to be something that starts with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a, such a lame example. Hi, I'm talking to two women who are impacting the world and helping orphanages. And I'm going to share an example right now about my ripstick. But um, so I have this ripstick. <laughs> You love your ripstick. I do. I have this ripstick. It's like a weird skateboard thing on two wheels. And I got it at a garage sale. And I just, it's very therapeutic for me to ride it in our backyard on the driveway. And very weird, I know. But anyway, so I love doing it. And my kids, who never were interested in having ripstick before, are constantly wanting to borrow it just because I'm out there and I'm doing it. And I think that is natural for children. Whatever they see their parents doing they want to do. And so when we're trying to manufacture something that we think that our kids should do, but we're not already doing, 
it's so much harder for us to integrate it into our lives and to make it a reality. But when it's something that's kind of the outflow of us, like with y'all doing much better things than ripsticking, um, I, I don't think it's so much really probably about Sophie and Anna, although they are definitely remarkable. A lot of it is really just the outflow of you guys, and they see that in you, and they see the impact and, and the heart behind it. And and that has what it probably is what ultimately has motivated them and spurred them on to do this. Um, and so... I love what you guys are doing. I love your hearts. And um, I'd love for you guys to share just an encouragement to a mom who wants, you know, feels already kind of maybe overwhelmed, but wants to have a heart to help her kids see the world bigger. Maybe who wants to make a difference herself, but just doesn't quite know, um, know where to start. What encouragement would you give to her? I would just say, start with one question that you can ask your child or even a question that you can ask yourself, whether it's what am I thankful for, or what's something that I have that someone's going without today? I mean, it it can be a really simple question. And I think those begin conversations that lead to conviction and those convictions lead to behavior and, um, and, and giving, I think just giving behavior, which is, which is really the heart of social justice. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, if you can just ask one question, you can start a movement with one question. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. The domino effect. So good. Yeah. Hey, so where can people find you guys online and how can they connect with the GLOW campaign? Um, we are on Instagram, Facebook, um, under the GLOW, it's just the GLOW campaign. Um, and then the glowcampaign.com. Um, you can, from that website, you can read a little bit about what we do and um, sign up for the Glow Crew if you want your kids to be involved. Very cool. And, you know, I do want to mention that probably a big impetus in this whole thing was just that $20 that the yeah. teacher invested in it. And so I know that you guys are working on um, raising money for a project in Haiti. And this could be an opportunity for you listening to just, Give that $20 that starts something that's bigger than yourself. So how can people get involved in that? And tell us just real quick a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So there's a, obviously the earthquake that happened 10 years, no, five years ago in Haiti um, still has some pretty significant effects. And um, one of my best friends is actually involved in um, some development projects there. And they are trying to um, build a classroom in the in village um, called Leogon. And so we have committed to raising a thousand dollars towards helping them build that classroom for the kids. And there's some pictures on our website. If you go, you can see some of the kids I'll be housed in that classroom. And I think that's really fun, you know, for, for kids to see, Oh, these are the actual children that are going to benefit from the money I did when I did a lemonade stand or things like that. I know that's something that our girls have loved being able to see the actual faces Mm -hmm. um, of who's, who's benefiting from this. And so um, you can sign up for the Glow Crew on there. And the yeah, so that's our current project is raising that $1,000 um, for the, the classroom in Haiti. Very cool. So those of you listening, definitely check out the show notes at inspiredtoaction.com to get the links to get there to maybe make this kind of your step forward in the whole process. And, and it's something definitely to get your kids involved in. And, and not even just, you know, you writing a check for $20 and putting it there, but saying, hey, kids, let's do some yard work today and really make it something that they can own and they can be a part of as well. So Liz and Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I love the wisdom that you had to share and the time that you took from your schedule to be with us. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, we'll see you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. 
And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble in this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day A good day filled with His grace His grace and sweet new mercy May my 